Okay, we're going to be speaking about the repentance of Jesus. Some say, what, did he have to repent? Yes. We're going to consider this. We're going to look at uh, Psalm 69 in a little bit. But the, uh, when he went down to the river to be baptized by John, that baptism was one of repentance. And we'll see that as we get into this. But also in chapter 19 of the book of Acts, when Paul went to Ephesus, he talked to the elders there, and uh, he asked if they had heard of the Holy Spirit. And they said, no, we, we've been baptized by the repentance of John, his baptism. And so Paul went on and explained that, that uh, <clears throat> there was more to the gospel message than that baptism. The Holy Spirit was one of the persons of the Godhead that would abide with them. But in the uh, passage of Matthew chapter 23, we've already looked at the memory verse, or the memory verse of the scripture reading, and I want to go over this again, starting with verse 1, and then we're, we'll head for Psalm 69. Beginning with verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist was baptizing in the wilderness, preaching. He said, Repent, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist. His food was the locusts and wild honey. Now the locusts were not bugs. It was a tree that sometimes you're familiar with, carob. We get carob from the locust tree. It says, then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, how would you like to have your preacher, your pastor, call you a snake in the grass? <laughs> That's what John was saying to these people. They came evidently pretending to confess their sins, but they were not sincere at heart. And John was able, he had insights he was able to detect the honest from the fraud. And so he goes on to say in verse 8, he says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do you not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. But I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now this is not necessarily talking about rocks that were lying around, but the stones of the Gentiles. And uh, this is certainly what God did later on. He raised up the Gentiles to be a part of Israel, God's people. Israel means a prince with God. And when they were converted, uh, that made up the early church. Now, so John refused to baptize certain people that were there by pretense. But he also did something else. When he, he talks about Jesus and then Christ was coming to him, verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent 
him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it be to be so now, for thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, his baptism and his repentance was a part of righteousness. He did not have to repent for himself, but for us. He did not have to confess sin for himself, but on our behalf. He was our representative. And one of the first messages, in fact, it's the first message recorded in Scripture after his baptism, after the temptation in the wilderness, and he came back to where John was, and John saw him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes the way of the sin of the world. And shortly after that, he was heading back to Galilee, to his hometown and up in that, that whole area, Capernaum. And he's, his first sermon that's recorded was, The time is fulfilled. Now, the only time that could have been fulfilled is Jan Daniel chapter 9, 25 and 26. It gives the time of his baptism and the time of his death. He went on to say, repent and believe the gospel. And Christ never told anyone to do anything that he did not do. It was part of his makeup. Repentance is an attitude of com commitment to God, turning away from sin, but also sorrow for sin. He, and he experienced all of this. And with that, now let's go to the, the book of Psalms, Psalm 69. And uh, we're going to see some things. I think we want to go begin with uh, probably about verse 19 to give us a, um, a handle on this. Verse 19, it says, You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there were none and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink." Now this was given out of pity. Probably one of the soldiers put a sponge on the end of a stick, put it up to his lips, and Jesus tasted it, and he turned his head away immediately because he did not want his, uh, his uh, mind to be distracted in any way from what he was going through. And, uh, and in this, what I'm going to do is put both the Old Testament and New Testament uh, passages that's dealing with this. And it's uh, Matthew 27, 33 through 34, Jesus, when they took him to Calvary, says they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of the, a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. And that comes from this psalm, Psalm 69, verse 21. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now, I have an, uh, an experience with this verse, and uh, church members, <clears throat> and a prostitute. One of the church members, a lady, had encountered this prostitute, the prostitute was interested in a change of life. She drank, she smoked, and other, among other things. And the church members were sincerely trying to help her. At that time we had what was called a five-day plan to smoke, stop smoking, and also a four-day plan to get off alcohol. 
And so they took her through these programs. I was not there. <clears throat> and she was not helped through these programs. And so when I got back, well, they, someone said, well, wait till Finneman gets back. He'll, he'll help you. <laughs> and so we were sitting in the basement of the church, and the saints were saying to her, you need to stop drinking. You need to stop smoking. And I sat there and listened to this, and she was kind of cowering. And then uh, I said, well, so you've been through these programs? She said, yes. And they didn't help you? No. I said, you have a tremendous advantage. And I looked around the room, and mouths began to drop. And I said, I'll tell you why. I said, these, these programs are excellent in helping some people. A good lifestyle, and you can get over these things, or some people can, but some cannot. And so you have the advantage. You have to depend solely upon Jesus Christ to give you deliverance from these things. And I said, if you'll study the Word of God, we'll study with you. If you'll study God's Word, I know that He will give you the victory over these things. Are you willing? She said, yes, I'm willing for anything. And so the, one of the saints went with me to study with her. And almost every night, the saint would say to the sinner, you've got to stop smoking, you've got to stop drinking. Actually, it was kind of embarrassing to hear this all the time, so I'd head another direction to get us off that topic. And I was going through uh, the Psalms, I do studies on Christ in the Psalms, and we came to this passage. And I read it, and I said, now remember that vinegar is the least amount of alcohol you can get, but it is alcohol. And when, you, uh, when, when Jesus was dying and suffering, out of mercy, this man was giving him a painkiller. And, uh, and I saw a little light come in her eyes, she, and the sinner turned to the saint, and she said, do you use vinegar in your salad? And I've got to confess that I really enjoyed the moment. <laughs> but finally I said, uh, you know, I broke in. I said, listen, I said, Seventh-day Adventists have not arrived yet. We are different levels trying. Sometimes it may be with appetite. Some are, may smoke, some may drink. I don't know. But God is working. with. If a person is willing to be willing, he will give victory to all of us. And so we can't be condemning anyone for you know, the life, lifestyle they have. But if we're willing to be changed, if we're not willing to be changed, there's not a whole lot that God can do. But again, I said, if you'll study the Word of God, God's Word, His promises will give you the victory. And it was about a week later, it was before the Bible study was coming up for the next week, the saint called me up and she said, something's happened, we need to go see her. She's called me and we need to go see her. And I said, okay, I didn't know if it was an accident or what, but we went to her home, went in. She was smiling from ear to ear, grinning, you know. She said, I've got a testimony to share. She said, I, uh, the, the Lord impressed me that I need to get, get rid of all my alcohol. Now, she had cupboards that were full of alcohol. She said she put everything down the drain except one bottle. She said, you know, I thought maybe I would better keep that in case I need it for some time. And then she said, the, the impression came to me, no, no, that goes too. So she said, I dumped that down the drain too. <clears throat> and I told her, we were rejoicing with her. And then I told her, I said, listen, the same thing will happen with you with uh, cigarettes and whatever habits you have that are wrong. God will give you the victory through the word. God's promise will never fail. I said, now sometimes people get, uh, will get a victory almost instantaneously. I've known people like that. Other people have suffered with certain habits they've had, and so it's taken longer. But God does not give up on us. 
no matter how many times we fail, he will not give up on us. If we come to him and, and desire him to help us and to change us, he will do it. That's his work to do. He's the redeemer. Uh, not only an example, but he is our savior. He's our representative. And uh, so that, that girl was able to get over her bad habits through the power of God's word. And he'll do that for you and for me today also. You believe that? It is so. Amen. So be it. Now, I want to go back on this, uh, and we're going to go backwards instead of forward in this uh, chapter. Let's go. In fact, I've got some um, slides here. Verse 4 says, Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. This is quoted by John chapter 15. This happened that the word of that the word might be filled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And then we have another one in verse 9. The first part of verse 9 says, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. John 2.17 says, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now this is when he was cleansing the temple by the money changers. Jesus had a whip in his hand. Now he was, there was an anger here, but it was a righteous indignation because they were polluting the sanctuary. They, they had their money exchanged. People, well, people coming from a long distance didn't always bring money with them, or I should say they bought money, but they didn't have a lamb or an offering to give. And so the money changers would change the money and then they would sell them the animal that needed to be sacrificed. And it was totally corrupt. And Jesus drove them from the temple court and overturned the tables so everything was in disarray. These people fled from his presence. And it's interesting, however, the children that were outside came in and they were sitting with him, not, not afraid of anything because Christ knew their heart, they knew Jesus, and he was able to minister to them. And even when the adults came back in, peeking in, they said, well, look at this. Well, listen to all that noise that's going on with these kids praising God. They had forgotten or neglected or refused to think about it. They had made much more uh, noise than these kids uh, in the temple. And Christ accepted them, but he did not accept what the, what the money changers were doing. All right, let's, go, let's take a look at another one. The, uh, Paul quoted this one. This is in uh, the last part of verse 9. I've got the whole one here. But zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen upon me. Paul in Romans 15 had this to say, Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. So again, the fulfillment of this, of this tremendous psalm. Now, if we go back, or go down, I should say, verse, uh, verse 8, go back one verse. Um, he said, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. This is a, a structure of parallelism. And so you have the stranger and the alien as... Uh, the same, talking about the same thing. And then you have his brothers, and it's interesting, he says, my mother's children. This is one of the verses that demonstrate that Mary had children. 
Uh, there's some say she was a virgin all her life. This is not true. She had children. And now Joseph had some older uh, children that he came with, but Mary had some children and Jesus was a half brother to, to them. And um, so I want to look at some things now, what had happened with his family. And he had spent all night praying and fasting. And in the morning, he gathered his 12 disciples around him, laid his hands on them and ordained them to the gospel ministry. When his relatives heard about this, they were beside themselves. And they said that Christ had gone crazy. His own people, when they heard about this, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is out of his mind. And I've got several translations here I want to share with you. This is from the King, uh, King James Version on the margin. When his kinsmen, kinsmen heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. The NIV says when his family heard about uh, this, they want to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. He had gone crazy. That was what they were thinking. We have to do something. If they had an institution, they would have tried to put him in it. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying he has gone out of his mind. Not only the family, but others. But the family wanted to protect their, uh, their reputation, and so they thought we need to get rid of him. And then I think one more here from the Net Bible. When his family heard this, they went out to restrain him, for they said he is out of his mind. Can you imagine Christ accused of being mentally deficient? Absolutely amazing. But anyhow, John 7, 5, this was six months before Christ was crucified. And there was a feast in Jerusalem. He was up in Galilee, and some of his brothers were with him, and they said, and they were mocking him. They said, well, go up to the feast, go up to the feast. And if we did not have this verse, we would think that they were believers in him as far as salvation. They, they did not believe in him at this point in time. This was six months before he was crucified. And uh, they were trying to just, just mock him. Jesus did go up to the feast, but he went a different way than they thought he would. But then something happened. He, Christ died, but before uh, or after that, something happened. Um, when Christ went back to heaven, there was something that happened just before Pentecost. And uh, this is what happened. These all continued with one accord. This, the believers, probably about 120 of them with supplication, with the women, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They were there in that upper room, converted. What in the world happened between six months before till the Passover? It was the cross of Christ that changed their attitudes. And Christ crucified is the one who can change any thoughts. Doesn't matter what kind they are. And I've got a statement here that's absolutely amazing. The cross stands alone, a great center in the world. It does not make friends, but it, it does not find friends, but it makes them. Jesus made friends of his brothers who thought that he, earlier that he had gone crazy. Now they're converted. One of them became the president of that little group later on, James, and he wrote the book of James. And so his relatives, earthly relatives, uh, participated in the gospel 
program. Now, we're going to, I want to read from uh, verse 4, last part of verse 4 through verse 6. This is, this is the point where we're getting into the nitty-gritty of this, of Jesus be it, repenting. And uh, the last part, well, let's start with verse, the first part. We already read it, but we'll read it again. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. Oh God, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. This is Jesus, a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Now, what's going on here? Why would he have to, why does he say this sort of thing? In this we have where he says, I must restore that which I have not stolen. He became a surety, and a surety is like a bondsman. If you've ever been in trouble with the law and you're hauled in, <laughs> um, if you're you can be either in, in jail or in the uh, uh, quarters there. And you may have to stay unless someone comes along to bail you out. And a bailman is a surety, and they're a, a surety is someone who is responsible for the failure of someone else. And if you skip out, say that someone's gone your bond, you, you skip out of the country, the one who put up the money to get you out in the first place has to, they lose everything they have. And it could be houses and land, it could be money. In some countries, uh, your very life was, is, was at stake. And Christ's life was at stake for us. Jesus became the surety. He became the one who would guarantee the suretyship or the payment for our failure. This is the idea. He was the, the surety of the everlasting covenant, according to Paul in the book of Hebrews. And he said he would restore that which he had not stolen. So it was not his. He did not, he did not sin. So he needed no repentance of him, for himself, but he, he repented for our sins. He was confessing our sins. And uh, um, it's, uh, it's tremendous. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question that I asked a congregation in, I think it was Dallas, Texas. I was doing a series down there, and I asked, this was, it was a rhetorical question. I was not looking for an answer. But I said, have you ever, in your experience, have you ever searched your heart for the best of your ability, and you felt that it was not good enough? Have you confessed your sin to the best of your ability, and you found that it was not good enough. And there was a lady about halfway in the back in the congregation and her husband. She just wailed, screamed. She said, yes, every day. And I saw, you know, she was really broken up and her husband was weeping. He was more silent. And as she was going through this, now remember, I was not asking for an answer, but she gave one. And I said, lady, I've got good news for you. <laughs> And I said, you know, there's not a single one of us that have repented to the fullest extent that we should. None of us have confessed our sins as we ought. But there is one. One person who repented a perfect repentance. That was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ confessed your sin as his own. And it was a perfect confession. 
and it was fully acceptable for the whole universe. Well, after the, after the study, or after the sermon, this couple came up to me, we talked, they gave her some promises, and uh, then they left and I left. About a week or two later, an elder of the church called me. He said, I want to share something with you that's happened. That couple that you talked with afterwards and the lady that was weeping, they've gone through a change that I've never seen. They, they have realized that God was for them and they're presenting these concepts to other people and he said they are unstoppable. <laughs> they were filled, the, you know, the, the weight had been, the burden had been lifted from them. They knew that Christ was for them and that and nothing was going to stop them and that's the kind of experience i think you and i need uh, today and we will as, as time goes on we'll realize what christ has done for us what he does in us and uh it will be a testimony that that will not uh, that will break down prejudices i've only had one one person like a little bit angry with me because i said that jesus repented <laughs> and i read one statement and he backed away but Here's, here's some thoughts. Christ came not confessing his own sins, but guilt was imputed to him as the sinner's substitute. So he's more than an example. He was an example. But before we can follow Christ as our example, we must have on gospel shoes. If we don't have them on, we cannot follow him. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he came not to repent on his own account, but on behalf of the sinner. He took upon himself our nature that he might teach us how to live. In the steps which the sinner must take in conversion, repentance, faith, and baptism, he led the way. He did not repent for himself, for he was sinless, but in behalf of man. Is that good news or bad? After Christ had taken the necessary steps in repentance, conversion, and faith, in behalf of the human race, not just Christians, he went to, be, to John to be baptized of him in the River Jordan. In this whole thing of repentance, his baptism, his faith, in this, God says that you and I are accepted in the Beloved. We're coming now to the close of our sermon. And... Uh, the three persons in the Godhead were there at that time. Now, evidently, Jesus had not heard the Father audibly for 30 years. But at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, and God the Father said, This is my Son, in whom I will please. So here we've got the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. Now, does God say that about you? Yes, He does. If we, as one with us, He must bear the burden of our guilt and woe. The sinless one must feel the shame of sin. The peace lover must dwell with strife. The truth must abide with falsehood. Purity with vileness. Every sin, every discord, every defiling lust, 
that transgression has brought was torture to his spirit. By the way, read, you can read this in the Desire of Ages, that chapter on the baptism before and after, he was tremendous. He asks for the witness that God accepts humanity in the person of his son, page 111, 111, 112, which deals with this. This is where our hope is. This is where our assurance is. Now, God is not dealing with us wanting to, we want to take his name and then run a different direction. He's talking about those whose hearts have been touched and they've surrendered the will to them. And I would say this, as soon as we surrender our will to him, he immediately takes possession of it. I'm sharing an experience that I had uh, after I became a Seventh-day Adventist. I don't know how long it was, uh, probably a year. I'm, I'm not altogether sure of the time frame. But I had given everything I was and everything I had to Christ when I became a Seventh-day Adventist. I was totally committed to him, as far as I knew. As time went on, I, I was losing that spiritual edge. And I remember one time in my apartment, I was, it was during my devotions, and God was impressing me that I needed to surrender my will to him again. And I didn't want to. I thought once an Adventist, forever an Adventist, almost like once saved, always saved. And I was kneeling there, not wanting to give my, I said, well, God, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, isn't that enough? What do you think happened? <laughs> he didn't let me go. The impression was, give me your heart, give me your will. And like a little pouting child, I said, okay, God, I'll surrender my will to you again. And immediately I had a sense of his peace. The burdens were lifted, and I knew that he was in the room with me on that, on that uh, experience. And I've come to find out that it's not once in a lifetime, sometimes not even once a day, but we should do it daily. But throughout the day, we'll run into situations that we cannot handle. And if we'll dart a prayer to God, say, God, I can't handle this. I surrender my will to you. He promises to take immediately possession of that. He says he will, he will work in us both to will and to do, according to Philippians. Tremendous advantages that God gives to us because of what Christ has done for us. The word that Jesus was spoken to Jesus, the word that was spoken to Jesus at Jordan, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, embraces humanity. God spoke to Jesus as a representative. With all our sins and weaknesses, we are not cast off aside as worthless. Is that good news or bad? <laughs> he has made us accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1, 6, that whole passage from verse 1 on through 6 and 7 is outstanding on our relationship with God. He chose us in eternity. He chose us before we were ever born. And as we respond to him, all the promises of God are at our disposal. God gives them to us. Whether we want, well, I should say, not whether we want them or not. If we want them, if we truly want them, they are ours personally. But even if we do not want them, he still did what he did for the whole human race. And that includes you, and it includes me. The glory that rested upon Christ is a pledge of the love of God for us. So in that watery grave, the baptism of repentance that Jesus went through, 
God was speaking not only to Jesus, but he's speaking to you and to me. And that dove comes down to us and gives, brings about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended upon in bodily form like a dove upon him, upon Jesus. And a voice came from heaven which said, you, now I want to put your own name in there. Is that, is that fair, do you think? <laughs> put your own name in there. For you are my beloved son, or you are my beloved daughter. In you I am well pleased. It is because of Jesus that you are accepted in the beloved. And if you accepted Christ, God is... I was going to say something that I shouldn't have. <laughs> but God was happy. And he breaks into singing over one sinner who repents and comes to him. But we're, we hang our helpless souls upon the merits of Jesus Christ. He repented for you. He repented for me. He repented for every human being on the face of the earth. Many people either have not heard it, or when they hear it, they, ah, they don't know any part of it. But nevertheless, that is our birthright possession, what Jesus Christ has done for us. Will you accept his information for you, that you are accepted in the beloved? That's the question. With that, we're going to close prayer. Gracious Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. We do not deserve what he's done for us, but he deserves to be honored. And he is honored when we accept what he's done for us. What an exchange. The God of heaven who came and dwelt among us, as us, and for us, exhausted the penalty that was against us. And now we're accepted in him. Help us to believe. Help our unbelief. And may we say, as that father did with his son, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Amen.